Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Maximum Octane. I am super excited as always about my guests because heck, I get to pick them. And today we are going to be with Mr. Jason Meyer and discussing his business with him. He is from Tilsonburg, Ontario. So for, for all of you, fans of Canada and all things Canadian. Uh, Jason is your guy. We we had an evening one night out and I, I had a few too many cocktails and I was saying, you're from Canada or something, or you have an accent from Canada. Or, so I, I always kind of think about that. So anyway, Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. So you are involved with and have ownership in some of them, and we'll get into the details with Tirecraft, which is a pretty big operation in your area and where you are. And one of the things that has always drawn me to you and listening to you is your can-do attitude. You you seem to look at things that people run from and say, let me run towards this and let me embrace this and how can I make this happen and it just always inspires me whenever I hear your accomplishments or things going on in your life, little roadblocks and other things, you you seem to plow through it. So I want everybody to understand that you actually have cut your teeth on from the very basics up. This isn't something that was handed to you or anything. So you want to share a little bit about your background because you started in a, a two-bay shop, right? And now are running or overseeing 30 of them and have some ownership. So you want to tell us a little bit about how that all started? Yeah, I went to college for uh, accounting and finance and uh, started trying to become a, a CPA. And uh, I was bored silly. And a year and a half later, I said to my dad, they wanted to transfer me eight hours away. And I said, I hate, I hate what I do. And uh, I said, I want to get back into more of the automotive, the tires, the, that repair business. And uh, there was a two-bay gas station for lease in, in my local town where I was born and raised. And uh, to his dismay, I went and leased that. And um, we started selling tires. And I, uh, it had been a passion through high school and, and part-time job in college and uh, kind of developed some relationships. and. Anyways, we started selling enough tires that uh, the wholesaler that and that I was uh, dealing with uh, came to see me and said, we'd like to put a, uh, a retail location in Tosenberg. We'd rather partner with you than compete against you. Are you interested? And uh, 
At the time, I'd already been looking at a piece of property down the road. My dad had been in real estate. And um, so, yeah, we, uh, we built a, a 7,200 square foot 10-bay facility. And I thought it was crazy, way too big. And, and quickly, we filled it up. And, and then I've been um, partnered with him with uh, Tirecraft now for 22 years. In the last 10 years, I've uh, moved into a regional manager role for a couple of years and then uh, came the senior director of corporate partner stores, so oversee operations for all locations in Ontario. And uh, that's over 30 locations, which extends to drive the farthest one end to the other is uh, a 10-hour drive. Wow. That's a... I mean, what a story. So I, I want to circle back for a moment. You mentioned about to your dad's dismay. So there's a lot of conversations going on about having the quote unquote blue collar jobs coming back and that guidance counselors and people in school need to be promoting them and that there's money to be made and great careers and life lifestyles to have working in that and not being a CPA or a lawyer or doctor. And, you know, there's an unfair push to push kids towards those kind of white collar businesses. Right. And so your dad expected for you to go to school to be a CPA and you're like, Hey, I want to deal with tires. Right. So <laughs> that had to be a big strain on for you to, because when you're young, it's hard to go against your parents and what they've had sort of mapped out for you and expectations. How did that help shape who you are today? I grew up on a farm. My dad was not a he was definitely a blue collar machinist and, and did that on the side to supplement the farm as we grew through that. Uh, the real estate was kind of a secondary uh, career again for him when he found this property for us. But uh, he, you know, all kids, all parents want better for their kids. So he's like, you need to go to school. And I wanted to be uh, get into the automotive right out of high school. And he said, no, you've got to go to school. And, um, I've never, the background I have with the finance and that certainly has been a major attribute and and I'm glad I had that background, but I think uh, for people not to look at the trades is a big mistake. There's so many opportunities and especially uh, the last five years uh, that, and what I look forward to or look ahead at, I mean, you can make a lot of money in the trades now being in business for yourself is so rewarding and uh but this is not i think there's going to be two classes of technicians down the road too and the the electronic diagnostic and being able to uh, run a computer is going to be uh, out surpass the replacement of parts and i i just see this industry it's scary to some, and, and I see all kinds of opportunities, but we've got to stay ahead of it and keep people interested in the trades. Absolutely. And we definitely have to stay ahead of it for sure, because I think a lot of times in our industry, people spend so much time in the moment and the whole business has always been structured around looking at each week instead of down the road a month, a year, five years, and so on, the snap on tools is a great example of equipment, you know, buy tools, but pay for them once a week and just looking in the short, short distance instead of down the road. So this is something you're obviously very passionate about. And so you chose to pursue this avenue. And 
I think, what is that saying that if you do something you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. And so it's so important to follow your dreams and not anybody else's. So I'm so thankful for you sharing that, that piece of it. So your dad finds this property says, we're going to, we're going to build it. We're going to build it 7,200 square feet. You said, Holy cow, I can't fill this up. What are you thinking? We have a two bay shop. Now I have that. And then how quickly did you fill it up and how did it go from there? Well, we, um, my dad found the, found this property because he was in the real estate and knew I, I could buy it for the taxes. So I went ahead and bought it. And then, uh, I designed the, the building with the owner of Tirecraft and, and, uh, it didn't take us long. We started out with uh, three employees in, in that big of building. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And, um, <laughs> And we hired a part-time, we hired three part-time guys about a month in and, and only one worked part-time for the first week and we just started filling up days. And uh, I heard something uh, a few weeks ago, somebody mentioned you should always staff for your busiest day. And I didn't think about it that way, but it's so true because every time I thought, oh, I don't think we should add somebody else. Um, it, as soon as you added another person, you work that much harder to keep them busy and, and filling up those bays. And yes, it, it grew pretty quickly. The first, probably uh, definitely within the first five years, we were utilizing all the space and, and uh, the business continues to grow. But when I joined API though, we were filling the bays, but we weren't right making a lot of money. And that was- Well, but you went to school to be a CPA. So you should have known all that, right? Just well, kidding. I, I, no, you're, you're right. And I'm like, what, what am I missing here? Because I was so, I was running the counter. I was hustling. If it got too busy in the back and I couldn't keep up, I'm wearing, a, you know, not a headset, uh, as we know today, but a big bulky thing that you could hardly hear on. And, uh, and, and you're changing tires at the same time. And then you're trying to remember who you just booked in or sold something to. And, <laughs> And you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off and, and and you're super busy and you're not making any profit. And that's, uh, I went to a boot camp and um, was persuaded uh, to go to that boot camp and then it opened my eyes and I'm like, my goodness, like I'm smarter than this. I should have known this myself. And, uh, but here I am over 10 years later and still uh, wanting to learn more and, and I think it's just invaluable to be around your peers and, and to learn from each other. And it's helped, helped me open my eyes. You know, a lot of people, we have a lot of people that come into the program and they have degrees and various things and marketing and, you know, some with the MBA, one of our members, I remember saying that her MBA cost, I don't know, $90,000 or whatever the heck it was at the time. And really, she didn't learn anything about actually running a business. You know, there was a lot of practical things and big picture and finance. And, and but there's nothing really that teaches you about the day-to-day operations, right? It's certainly not a course that we take in high school. And so it's always that thing, you don't know what you don't know. And so uh, hats off to you that you decided to find out where could you learn about running specifically automotive repair shops, right? Entire shops. So 
30 locations. So for some people, the thought of that is so overwhelming. And they say, I, I can't even keep track of the people at my one location or two locations. I can't find the right people to help me. I can't keep track of what's going on. How do you scale that? How do you go from having one 7,200 uh, square foot shop to overseeing 30 of them? Well, process. You definitely need to um, put in place the right people and the right processes. And, and once you find the right people that you trust and you empower them and you coach and mentor them, they can do it on their own. And then you duplicate that over and over. So when I, I didn't start it, when I joined Tirecraft, we were the fourth, fourth store. So we had three others and, um, but we started working on, all of us were separate names and you couldn't even know that we were all really interconnected. The branding was awful. And, uh, but we evolved it over time and it was very, the owner of Tirecraft was very progressive, very much growth minded. But we had to put the process, we, we were running behind trying to put processes together. And once that kind of slowed up a little bit, we focused on making a process and putting everybody on the, under a brand and, and having common marketing and raising brand awareness in the community. But then we worked on the culture within the stores and what the experience would be like for the customers. And once we got that to a level where we thought we could duplicate, we started growing that out and, and growing, but primarily by acquisition at that point in time, because so many opportunities were coming our way because we had built a brand. But onboarding them now, we have a full process, we have a team that goes in, and, and it's fairly seamless. Uh, there's always hiccups, absolutely, but the biggest key thing is you can go by any building you can build a building, but it's the people inside that that is everything. And uh, that's where I, I think we had the most success is really trying to develop a culture and make it a good, positive experience, a place where people want to come to work. And, and we've been fairly successful with attracting some of the best people in the industry, but also some great people outside of the industry that decided to come look, take a look at it. And I'm, I'm really proud and excited about that. So we've, we've hired some very good, strong people from some of the major manufacturers in the world that have come to us and thought, I'd like to make a change. That's wonderful. So there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this and saying, you can't find employees right now. It's the great resignation. Nobody wants to work. People are lazy, all kinds of excuses for not being able to attract good people. Obviously, you're finding a way to do that, to keep 30 stores running and operating and kept to your standards of what your brand is. What suggestions do you have for our listeners? Well, believe in your people. Hire, it starts right at the hiring process. I think you really, really have to, it's tough in this market sometimes because you just want to grab the first person that comes through the door and, and you know the requirements that you show up each day and that's what we're looking for but that's certainly not how you build a culture and um, you know it may take a little bit more time but hire the right people and, and 
once you start finding the right people, they'll start coming to you and you build that reputation. And it's, it's hard to do in your own community sometimes, but once you get there, you don't have an employee shortage. And then for us, expanding across the province, we're trying to duplicate that in each community. And it really, it starts at the top and in each store, in the organization, on the floor, everybody's got to be at the same, you know, we look out for each other. So you mentioned standards and when you are hiring people, that you can't just hire the first person that walks in and how we used to laugh about it being if they have a pulse and they can walk when you're busy. How do you resist that urge and justify in your head that we're so busy, we're booked out, we have all this going on. I have a warm body here, but they're not the right fit for our culture. So we have to say no. How long did it take you to get to that point where you could do that? I was really lucky. I hired some really good people early on. I've had, I've got several of my staff have been with me, probably four of them for over 20 years. Wow. We had a good solid base and then we built from that, but it wasn't without challenges that, you know, not every day did each of them uh, see the same vision I had. I wasn't even sure what my vision was at times either because I was so busy running around, but treating people with respect and treating them how you'd like to be treated. And I was lucky enough, but I think I had a few people in my life who really, you know, at the time they maybe didn't notice it, but I, my leadership style came from experiences as well as what you learn along the way and what you're trained on. But I remember I was 16 and working at a heavy truck shop and uh, I, a guy was driving backing me in and I ran into another vehicle and all of a sudden he couldn't find that guy and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be fired. And it was a Chevy Chevette, so I'm starting to date myself, but uh, they were still worth more than $100 back then. And um, and he said to me, he goes, well, what happened? I told him what happened. And he said, was it an accident? And I said, yes. And he says, are you going to do it again? And I said, no. He says, well, that's why we call them accidents, and that's why we learn from them. And then I didn't have to pay anything. And, uh, you know, I, I've said that to so many employees. Because they, they brack things here. Every new employee's going to wreck a rim or break a TPMS sensor. Or, you know, we've had bagging a car off the hoist from the door. They forgot to shut a door. Like, this stuff happens everywhere, right? It's, it's not. But not losing your mind and firing them on the spot if they're good employees and having a, a calm conversation with them builds a ton of loyalty and respect both ways. What a great story. And to think of you said you were 16 when that occurred. Yeah, I was sweating bullets. So I mean, the impact that somebody had that person in that moment for all of these years, it's, it's incredible. And that's the kind of leader you want to be, right? Is to have that lasting effect on, on people. You mentioned having a great culture. You really started actively working on the culture at your shops and engagement and all of that. What are some of the things that you started doing? We do our best to, to give our managers the tools, uh, the reporting, and everything that they need and the support. 
and we coach them and we stay real close with them till they get a till they get to a certain level. And then we use a ranking system that's similar to one that ATI was showing some of our COOs in a, in a recent course. And, and I can't remember the, the name of it, but the five steps and uh, leadership. But when we can get somebody up to that level, we start backing off and, and we go from a weekly uh, structured conversation to perhaps a, a bi-weekly. We really, we start to, you have to let them manage. You have to give them some runway to run on and you have to let them fail a little bit and then be there to help them and pick them back up. And But if you don't, I've seen it two ways. You just walk away from people completely and there's no accountability. There's no, that, there's no value in that. But if you micromanage a person, they go find somewhere else to go. So you have to get them, you really have to let them grow and develop and, and then see a career path. Because some of them, you know, like myself, uh, you started out with one location and now I've got a few, few COOs who have elevated themselves up to over, you know, they report to me, but they're the more hands-on level. And the other store managers now see that there's a growth path for them too. And several of the store managers, majority have come from within. Wow, that's incredible. You mentioned before we went on air about with having 30 locations, you said it's actually easier to, to manage 30 locations. And I, I kind of had a giggle because I know when people hear that, they're going to be like, what? And I remember when I had my second child and our family attorney said, you'll never again know who ate it, broke it, bent it, wrote on it, tore it, and all these things. And I was like, why are you telling me this? And he's like, oh, it's just easier from from now on, you know, the first one's the hard one. And then once after you have, you know, one kid, you get everything figured out. doesn't matter how many you have. It's, it's actually easier than just one. And holy cow. I thought at the time, you know, as a, as a new mom, and I thought you are crazy, sir, but I think he was right. So how is it easier operating multiple locations now? Well, I think when it was at two or three or, or four, you're trying to still be completely hands-on on everything. And you're running around, driving around to each location, and, and you haven't put the right people in place or built any structure. And then it gets big enough that you have no choice. You now have to take a step back and build a structure, build a team, coach and mentor them, and really start to oversee it. But it gives you time to now work on the business. And because if, and if you don't have the right person in the seat and you've done everything you can to coach and mentor them, then it's time to have a different conversation. But eventually they need to run their what they're responsible for and they're reporting in to you and you're having accountability conversations and coaching conversations. But as you get the right people in place, it definitely gets easier. And you can have team meetings where we have peer groups within our stores and we'll pick five of them, for instance, in a region and we have a monthly meeting and it may be a structured monthly meeting for two hours and you just coach five people rather than having five separate individual sessions once a week. 
because now they're related to that. And and they're now calling each other and there's cross-pollination on ideas as well. So yes, the whole organization now grows together. Love it, love it. You mentioned your vision earlier and it was difficult sometime to convey your vision to your people. And at times you weren't even sure yourself. How did you get that worked out? And once you understood your vision, how did you start getting it to your people in a manner that they could understand? Good question. <laughs> I don't think there was any one light bulb that went off, but it was living in a total, even though things were going well, you were uh, a high level of stress. And I'm certainly not going to say there's no stress now because there definitely is, but it's, it's generally a much more managed, controlled stress. And you get out of being just busy, busy, busy. And here's so many people say, like, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to do that. I'm so busy. And you have to set aside some time and really think about where you want to go. And it's tough because I still get wrapped up in the busyness at times. But you then you sense it and you feel it and you pull yourself back out of it. Um, I still wouldn't say that I sleep uh, six hours a night consistently, but it's better than it was years ago when I didn't spread out where we were going. And I think we've done a much better job of having scheduled, I think scheduled time for yourself, but also scheduled time that's consistent every week or bi-weekly or monthly with your key people and your your report twos is so crucial and, and i mean i learned that from ati too I mean, you always know that three o'clock on monday kevin allen's calling me and um you know you know that time is coming and if, if we've you know i don't talk to kevin here as much as i used to he's talking to my manager now but if you did committed to doing something and now it's monday morning Boy, I'm getting that done, right? So, because, but if that meeting doesn't really mean anything, it's kind of scheduled for Monday. But, you know, if, if Kevin doesn't always call me and, you know, that if that was the case, I mean, Kevin was like clockwork and he always did. And, and I've got the same experience now working closer with Mike Bennett. But if, if it's scheduled, it's happening. And I learned how important that is because if, you don't stick to the schedule and then you're not important. If that person that's supposed to have that scheduled time set aside with you, if you cancel on them or you don't show, they start to realize they're not that important to you. Something else come up that was more important. So honoring your commitments are very, very important for sure. There's all kinds of books about that and the four agreements and a lot of great books about it. And a lot of people have that in their fundamentals for their businesses, because it is important for you to show up when you say you're going to. Well, and the other thing is not, yeah, that show up is active listening, I guess. Just, you have to be present. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. That That's the focused time and focused meeting. And it's not just about how's your day going. But that's important to know your people, but... You also got to get to the meat and potatoes and not meat. How do you 
stay in contact with all, because obviously with 30 locations, how many overall employees are there? Uh, the overall combined would be about uh, 350. 350. And so how are you, when do you go to visit the locations? Do you stop in the shop and the different things and say hi? How do you remain part of that on a personal level? Or are you removed from that now? No, I still, uh, I'm still committed to uh, being at each location a minimum of one time per year physically on site. Then we use uh, Zoom and Teams for the, for the majority of the racks. Now, some of the sites we'll get to much more often. Uh, a new one that's just coming on board, we want to be there monthly. It just depends on the location and that, but definitely, you know, you want to be there. You want to see, I still, you know, try and know everybody's names that you're, when you're going through and, and know something about them. And it's, it's just a connection. And on every, uh, everybody's safety board, my cell phone number is there. And a lot of them know how to get a hold of me and text me. And, but as you've got better level of managers and, and people that are doing a fantastic job in the stores, you hear less and less from the guys on the floor because it's being handled where, where it should be in that location. But I, yeah, I definitely during uh, COVID when we weren't, Ontario was really harsh on restrictions. You couldn't move around. I really missed not seeing people and going out to stores. So it's a, uh, didn't want to be an accountant because I didn't want to sit in an office all day. So <laughs> it's hard to coop me up now. Too. <laughs> you don't like to be fenced in, huh? No, not at all. I think you've noticed that. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but you have that entrepreneurial spirit and most entrepreneurs don't want to be fenced in an office or logged down. They want to be thinking and dreaming and figuring out how to execute their visions and plans. So what's next for you? I think I'm, uh, I'm really focused on continuing to develop the level, the, the teams that are below me. And I think I, I want to see everybody uh, provide a good, a good life for the family, have a good life work balance. And I want them financially to be successful. So I think it, it's, it's really becoming more and more a coaching mentor role, uh, leadership, a real focus on leadership. We've got metrics in place and, and you know, daily and weekly reports to, to measure productivity per technician and, and uh, you know, sales per advisor and everything. But, um, you know, that, that's in place. We've done it. They understand what the goals are and that. And if something's going a little sideways, we've had some corrective conversations and you see it, it, it come back around. But for me now, it, it, I want to see the you know, continued growth, but I really want to ensure that the, the staff and everybody continues to want to come to work here and really be proud to work for Tire Craft. I'm proud to be part of that organization. And I want to see us continue to attract uh, the best people in the industry. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. We, we've actually, uh, 
uh, the owner of Tirecraft Bruce has put together uh, an ESOP concept, which is, uh, I don't know if it's only Canadian or not, but it's an employee share ownership program. And he's starting to allow uh, this past uh, February for the first time and, and team members were allowed to uh, had the opportunity to start buying shares into the business. And he's willing to sell uh, 20% of the business to the uh, employee group and eventually roll that up to 49%. So wow, that's a pretty cool experience because now everybody has the opportunity to buy in. And and, uh, and for the first thousand they put in, he matched it. So, and, and it could be payroll deductions. That's a pretty cool program ever. Eventually, it'd be nice if everybody became an owner in the company. Talk about stickiness, right? An incentive for somebody to come and work with you versus somebody else. I mean, that's it. So for you to get to the level that you're operating at, obviously, you had to make some changes, I'm sure, and probably along the way had some unproductive habits and had to get rid of them and replace them with more productive ones. What's one of those habits that you had to get rid of and replaced with something else? Stop being the guy with all the answers. Like even when I just had my one, the one store that I have ownership in, you'd walk through the shop and, and you could never get to the back because somebody asked you this question, that question, that, and my phone used to ring constantly and there'd be text messages, phone call and email and this problem and that. And, and I, what I really started, you just couldn't. And I answered every question rather than saying, have you went to your manager? Have you went to the lead hand? Have you, and I just would answer them. Right. Boom, boom. <laughs> and I uh, you know, felt really important. Right, boy, I'm really needed here. And in the meantime, it's it, it, it'll drive you crazy, right? It's uh, if you're like that at one location, imagine when it expands out, how many questions am I get? But as you redirect people back to where they go, where they should be going first for an answer, or what's really been probably the biggest game changer for me, and, and I it's my own phrase, but I call it strategic patience and when the phone does ring from uh, most often i'll let it go to voicemail or, or wait for them to text me and i'll usually wait a good four hours because nine times out of ten they solve the problem themselves by that and the other thing i mean and you turn around and ask them well what would you do and, and help build their confidence as people get more and more confident, they ask a lot less questions and they believe in themselves because they've made the right decisions. And now they know that, hey, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. And then they just tell you their wins for the week rather than having a list of problems and questions. So you know, don't ever bring a problem without a solution. And we'll work on the solution together. Some sound advice there. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. I do know you are a very busy man. So I really appreciate that you took the time out of your day to join me and our listeners for, for this episode. So everybody stay safe, make good choices, and I will see you next week. Thank you so much, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you, Tim. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 